Well, this is somewhat of a continuation from, from last week's lesson. And last week we asked the question, uh, how can there be a God since there's, there's suffering and evil? Why would we, should we believe that God exists uh, when we see suffering and evil in, in the world? And so today's going to go along with that. Well, why does God allow suffering and evil? As a reminder, last week we, we noted that there are a number of causes for suffering. And that is just so important for us to remember as we go through the difficulties of life is that God did not cause these things. That uh, we, we see the scriptures telling us about Satan who uh, is working his evil among those who are disobedient and is uh, a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And we, we have this picture given to us that, that Satan is constantly at work against us. Why would we want to blame God for evil when Satan is a perfectly good explanation for much of the evil that exists and much of the suffering that takes place? We also noted time and chance, and we'll speak to this a little bit more today, but time and chance is also a factor. That there is such a thing as being at the wrong place at the wrong time or being at the right place at the right time. And the writer of Ecclesiastes made that point that we uh, examined last week. And we also notice that the book of Proverbs reminds us that we do suffer for our bad choices. That we can make bad decisions in life, and that is the reason why we suffer. But even more so, that other people suffer because of our bad decisions. And we suffer because of other people's bad decisions or evil decisions. And so all of that play, plays a role in what we looked at last week. In, in talking about that as well, it's also important for us to consider that by even asking the question about, well, why should I believe in God if they're suffering, since they're suffering and evil, that actually evil proves that there is a God. And that might seem counterintuitive, but it would be like if we were to uh, have an exam here and I said, okay, uh, you got an 80 and you got a 75 and you got a 90. That presupposes that 100 is the standard. I don't have to state what the standard is. You know what the standard is because of the numbers I gave you. In the same frame, frame of mind, the same, same point, to be able to define something as evil by definition means there is an absolute good. There is some sort of standard that exists to be able to make the measurement so that you can say, well, this is good and this is evil. And that's why we have a great problem in our society today is we erase God as being the moral standard. Then there's nothing to say what somebody does is right, right or wrong. Why is murder wrong? Well, if it's not because of God, then I don't have an answer. Why is stealing wrong? Well, because if, if God's not the moral standard, I don't know what is. That supreme good is God. And so for there to be evil, for us to be able to say that there is something wrong, presupposes something that is ultimately good. So that's basically what we looked at last time, then, is that we understand there is a God and that there are many reasons for suffering. But why does God allow it? Why doesn't God do something about it? When we see evil take place, when great uh, tragedy strikes, why doesn't God intervene? Why doesn't He stop it from happening? Why does He let the righteous suffer? And I think these are important questions. That's what we're going to now answer this morning. The atheist argument pretty well goes like this, pretty simple. It is that, it, it, okay, let's suppose that God exists. Well, if God exists, God then is all-powerful, right? Meaning, He can do anything He wants to do. Anything's at His disposal. Uh, whatever He wants to do, He can do. And by Him being God, He's all-knowing. He, he knows what is good, 
And he then wants good to happen. And so uh, if there is a God who can do anything, who is all powerful, and he knows what is good and wants good to happen, then there shouldn't be suffering and evil. And since evil exists, there is no God. And that's about the simplicity of the argument. And there's no doubt our minds cross those paths and we suffer and we see evil take place that we sometimes question and wonder, well, how, how can this be? Why does God allow this to happen? And, and so I hope we're asking at least that question that last week we dealt with. God's not the cause. God did not do it. But God is the supreme being over all the earth. So why does he allow it to take place? I think there are some things that we need to understand then in trying to comprehend God uh, to be able to deal with with understanding, I think, good answers from the scriptures about this. This might seem difficult at the beginning, but understand, and I hope you got a good night's sleep because this is going to be very uh, <laughs> uh, philosophical of sorts, Bible philosophical, not, not foolish man philosophical, uh, but it does require so, some thinking on our part. God is all-powerful. But by definition, that means there's limitations. Now, that seems counterintuitive at first. You say, now, if God's all-powerful, he can do anything. Any and everything that's possible, he can do it. That's not actually true. For example, God can't cease to exist. God's all-powerful, but he can't stop being. God's all-powerful, but he can't make a mistake. We can begin to realize that, wait a minute, just because something is all-powerful does not mean that there are not limitations upon that. Have you heard the argument that's often used uh, silly, I think, at times? Uh, okay, if there's a God and God's all-powerful, can God make a rock so great that he can't pick it up? You heard that one? Uh, that, one that one always cracks me up. As if that, that's going to prove something. You know? okay, yeah. Okay, because if God is so powerful, he should be able to make any size rock, but he'd be able to pick up any rock he makes as if this is some sort of conundrum. But the answer is no. God can't make a rock too great that he can't lift. That's just the essence of the all-powerful limitation. Was, no, he couldn't. He can make whatever he wants to make. <laughs> so uh, that's not an argument in the slightest. Uh, same thing, not only is God limited just by the characteristic of being all-powerful, God is constrained by his own character. Though he is all-powerful and may be able to do many things, he's also constrained by who he is. For example, God can't lie. You say, oh, wait a minute, he's not all-powerful. No, he is all-powerful, but there are certain characteristics about him that limit him. And there are certain things by definition, by being all-powerful, that means that he cannot do. John, 1 John 1 and verse 5, God can't perform evil. He can't cause evil. That's why it's such, so disappointing to hear Christians at times blame God for evil. God can't do that. That's against his very character. God cannot create evil. God cannot perform evil. God cannot cause evil. It is impossible with him. And though all powerful, I just want you to consider that there are limitations because what this does is it shows us there is a really big limitation that exists on the earth that is really the explanation for why God allows suffering and evil and that is the problem of free will. God did not create evil. God does not cause evil. But he did create free will. He gave the ability, the freedom, for everybody to choose what they want to do in their life. To make their own decisions. To decide to do what is right. 
or to decide to do what is wrong. By allowing that freedom, that did create the possibility of evil. He did not create evil, but he did create that possibility because God wanted us to choose to love him. God could have made the earth and made all of us do exactly what he says, that we would have no choice, there'd be no thought process, we would perfectly perform God's will at every moment, at every turn. He could have made us a robot that is programmed for perfection. But God didn't want that. God wanted us to make a choice, to have available a choice of do you want to be with God, to love God, to choose God or not? And I think appropriately, how this would make sense, is think about a marriage. Do you want your spouse to love you because they have to or because they want to? Obviously, want to is far more useful. It's great that they have to. You say, oh, we use the, the, the bonds of marriage and say, well, you're stuck with me now. Uh, but you prefer that they want to stay with you, not that they're stuck with you. And that's the situation with God. God didn't want us stuck with him. God wanted us to choose him. And that's why you see in the very beginning, what does God do as he creates everything perfect? There in the Garden of Eden, everything is just right, but he plants a tree there. Free will. If there is not a tree of knowledge of good and evil for which Adam and Eve to choose, then they do not have free will. They cannot make the choice to not choose God. They have to choose God. There would be no other alternatives. Ah, but there's a tree there. To allow free will to exist to see, will you choose God or not? And as we see, of course, Adam and Eve chose not to. And that's really what it comes down to, is God cannot intervene against evil. And God cannot intervene against suffering. Because by doing so, he erases free will. It's as simple as that. If he stopped me every time I started to do something so wicked, so heinous, so evil, that would affect millions of people, then he has stripped away my free will. And that's what you have to think about in the way God made this world, is he wanted every single person to choose God. But by setting up that option, that meant God would have to stand by and allow us to do horrible, despicable things by our own free will. That's not what God wants. It was not God's plan. Certainly not God's intention. God wants us all to do what's right. God wants us to love our neighbor as ourselves, to treat one another kindly, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart. But he left us with the choice of whether we are going to do it. And so God must allow evil if he's going to allow us to choose God or not. And so often our evil choices bring suffering. And that's why we mentioned last week, and we can ponder it again, how much suffering would cease if every single person on the planet did everything exactly as God had said to do. Everybody loved another person as they ought to. Always chose the best interests of others before themselves. Always was considerate and kind and had the very character of God in every single word and in every single decision. This world would be a different place. Most of the suffering, I believe, we have brought upon ourselves by choosing evil and by others choosing evil. By us not doing what's right and others not doing what's right. And unfortunately, the consequences of sin 
do not only rest on us. The consequences of sin are far-reaching and vast. And so we have to understand that that is, uh, I think, a lot of the explanation of why we see what goes on around us. And so ultimately, we're going to have a few more answers, but ultimately, I think this is our foundational point that we come back to rest upon, is that God wanted people to choose him. With choice comes the opportunity of evil. Either we choose good and choose to be with God, or we choose evil and not to be with God. And by allowing that choice, there will be evil. There will be suffering. For God to intervene would rip away that free will and put us back into a position of being robots who cannot choose. And that's not what God wants. God wants every person to pick him. And so the choice rests before every single person who's ever been made. Will you choose to do what's right? Will you choose to to do what God says? Or will you choose to do what's wrong and choose to violate what God says? Free will is a great, great, powerful explanation for why we see the majority of the things that we see in this world. Is that God cannot intervene if he's going to allow us to choose to love him. And I think that had to be a very difficult decision when you think about the creation of the world and an understanding of God being all-knowing and understanding I want people to choose. But by the same token, that leaves the other door open. It's kind of the insecurity of marriage at times, is you want them to choose to love you, but they always have the choice to leave, though it is a violation of God's law, and you put a trust. And there's a trust that exists there, and a trust with God, that God was hoping that we would choose Him. Unfortunately, most people do not. I think the second thing that we need to look at in understanding God is, first of all, free will is a critical component to understanding why uh, suffering and evil is, is allowed by God. But God is also all-knowing. And that brings an interesting characteristic in that, that this could seem very counterintuitive as well. Just as much as being all-powerful seems odd to say that that means there's limitations uh, but there are inherent limitations built upon that. God can't lie. Can't, God cannot stop existing. Uh, so even being all-powerful, there are limitations. Even with this, God being all-knowing is interesting because what that means, it is possible for God to be able to tolerate horrible things knowing the future will be better for his people. Now that also seems very uh, you know, contradictory. You say, that doesn't make much sense. But... We have to accept this. God knows the present good and God knows the present evil. And being all-knowing, he also can know the present good, the future good, and also the future evil. And thus, it is possible for God to allow a horrible event to take place, knowing full well that horrible event will bring about a greater good. Proof? What we just remembered is the best proof of that. How does God allow God to come to the earth and die on the cross? Probably one of the most horrible things that could ever be conjured in the greatness of suffering and evil is the death of God by humanity. How did God allow that? We often ponder that. How in the world could God allow his son to come to the earth and suffer like that, to endure that? We, we often speculate about that and scratch our head, thinking about our own children and going, we would never be able to deal with that. How did God the Father be able to deal with such a circumstance? 
because he knew that there was a far greater good coming off of that horrible act. That God has the ability to know that there is good that can come from that. And so we don't know how good can come, but we do know that God knows those kinds of things. And that does not certainly, and let me make sure you understand, that does not mean that the cute phrase that's often, that is often brought, well, well good, good things always come out of bad things. No, the Bible doesn't say that. My point is simply it's possible that God can also tolerate things because he knows of a good that we don't know of. At the time of Jesus' death on the cross, I don't know how anybody alive at the time could say that was a good thing. I don't know the disciples all went home after Jesus dies on the cross and they take the body down and place it in the tomb. They all went home and said, boy, that was great. I, I, I am so excited and so happy about that. That looked like the end of the world at that moment. God had just died. Satan appeared to have won everything. The game was over. Satan appears victorious. But God knew how that was going to work out. Man didn't know, but God knew. And so there is the possibility, and that's what I put here as the final point, that we trust God because God has the ability to bring us blessings and goodness despite the disasters that come and highlight the ability. Again, not saying that something good comes out of every bad thing. Not at all. But we understand by the death of Jesus that it is possible for good to come out of bad, difficult circumstances. That God can take lousy situations and still work them out to be good. You might have instances in your own life where you can see that. I see that in mine. I'll be happy to share it with you. As I mentioned last week, 10 years old, my parents divorced. Not pretty, not, not good, nothing cordial about it. Very yucky. Live with my mom five days a week, live with my dad two days a week. Do that for eight years of my life, then go to college and all that. And I had a, a lot of struggles with that during that time. But if that had not happened, I know, I know, I would have never gone to college in Florida. And I know then I would have never met April because I've gone to college in Florida, which means I would not have the children that I have now. And that also means I would not be a preacher because I would have not gone to training with my father in Arkansas because that wouldn't have even existed. Dad wouldn't have been in Arkansas. None of that would have happened. Does that make the event of what took place okay and now all that suffering is all? No, it doesn't make that feel any better. But I am able to see now that that changed the course of events. And still, blessings and goodness could come even though a very great disaster took place. And that's what all I'm presenting here is there is that possibility. And that you can do the same thing perhaps in your life. If you ever look back and go, you know, if that hadn't have happened, would I be where I am today? How different my life would have been if this event or that event had not taken place. And while it was a difficult event, a disastrous event, a tragic event, look at what that's been able to bring about. Look at what that did. Look how that changed my life. Look at how it changed the course of events. 
I probably still wouldn't have been out of the state of Florida. When I went to college in 1874, I'd never left the state of California unless you count Yuma, Arizona, which is right on the Arizona-California border. <laughs> it's right there. I've never left the state in my life. And like most of my friends that I grew up with still live in San Diego, and I probably would still be there doing who knows what. Would have gone to the University of San Diego, I think. Political science was the major at the time, so perhaps I'd be a lawyer at this point. Uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know where I would be at this point. Completely different road because of that. And so we understand God gives us free will, and we understand that there is the ability for God to tolerate evil, knowing that good things are still able to be brought out of bad events. The third thing that is, that is pointed out that we also need to understand with God is that God is all good, but that does not exclude suffering and pain. As much as I would like for us to believe that being all good, God could never tolerate any suffering, there couldn't be any evil, those things are not mutually exclusive. You want to know why? Because two days ago I went to the dentist. Still a little sore. Couldn't eat a thing on Friday. Oh. Well, was, was the dentist intending harm and evil for me? No. you got to clean the teeth. you got to get that metal scraper out. And you got to suffer in pain. <laughs> but it's for your own good. And we have to understand that. Is that suffering and pain does not mean that what's going on is not good. One can be good while still allowing suffering and pain. Uh, and, and especially understanding that the pain and the suffering is actually being beneficial. Uh, we experience a lot of those things in our life. That's why I put uh, doctors. Doctors do painful things to us because it's for our own good. Uh, you ever had an athletic trainer? Oh, it's painful the next day. You can hardly get out of bed after you do a workout. You go play sports, things like that. Oh, you ache and all that. But you know it's for your own good. There's a lot of things that we have in life that are self-inflicted pain and suffering because of the greater good that rests behind it. And so that's the same thing that we have to understand. Just because God is all good does not mean that that makes us impervious to pain and suffering. In fact, I'd take it a step further. Life's hardships is how we form our character. That's what makes us who we are. We don't learn anything from having good times. We learn from life's bad times. We change our character, become who we are because of life's difficulties, not because of life's good times. The best way to show that is show that with your children. What do you get with a child that gets his way, always has everything they want, never has to cry a word about anything, just you know, snap the fingers, they have whatever they want? A brat. <laughs> not a well-adjusted person, not somebody who's ready to take on the world, not somebody who's considered and kind and thinks about us. No, a selfish brat. That's what you have. Should God allow us to be selfish brats? That we would all get whatever we want. No thanks, God. No pain, suffering for me. Uh, I just want everything given to me exactly how I want it in life. Just make everything perfect for me. doesn't work that way. Because that's not going to allow you to be what God wants you to be. If God intervened every time something was painful or difficult in your life, you would never grow to be like God. You would stay selfish, and I would stay selfish. And we would still be self-centered. And we would be all self-consumed. Which, wonder why society is sounding more selfish and self-consumed? Because we think we should have whatever we want to have. Do whatever we want to do. No consequence. 
We make such a huge mistake with our children, thinking that they should have whatever they want to have. Poor little Susie and Johnny, boy, it's awful that they just don't have every little wish of theirs. I'm sorry. You're creating a brat. Let them cry. Let them learn. Boy, kids get real quick learning about, oh, they're snapping their fingers for mommy and daddy to jump. Do something for me. Make me happy. Mm. Careful. God doesn't do that with us. We don't get to snap our fingers to God. Uh, I'm unhappy, you know. Fix it. We learn from that. We build character with that. It molds us and changes us. That's why we have a world of brats that teachers don't want to teach because kids think they can have their way. And finally, don't forget, if God always intervened, we would not have free will. We're putting all these pieces together. All of these things work together in what we see God doing with us. God wanted us to be able to choose. And there's some other things that go with that, 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 that God can see into the future and is able to still bring blessings to us and goodness to us even after difficult times. And that God uses these things. God uses the evil that Satan creates to help mold us and make us who he wants us to be. Again, did that mean that God made the evil? Not at all. Did God create the suffering and make this horrible thing happen? Not in the slightest. But can God use that so that we will become better people? Certainly. Most certainly. What about the question that we often pose? Other people are getting away with hurting others. Why? I always see all these evil people getting away with stuff. You know, we we even sing the song. We see the the, the righteous suffer, suffer and the wicked prosper year after year. And we have that song farther along. We'll know all about it. And you know, how how can we deal with that? How, we see evil people are getting away with all this. Where's God to be able to do something? Don't forget that delayed justice does not mean that God's justice is not coming. God's justice being delayed doesn't mean that it's not coming. Just because that God's justice does not strike at this very moment does not mean that God is not going to act. And just remember, God told us the reason why he's waiting. God delays justice to give an opportunity for the wicked to repent. As easy as it is for us to want to point the finger and say, God, you've got to get rid of all the evil people, strike them down and do something wrong. That starts with you. The first time you do something wrong, you're gone. God doesn't want that. He wants us to change. He wants us to learn from the evil mistake and do good. And so he has to allow these things to happen in the hopes that you and I will stop doing evil bad things and start doing what's right. And if he intervened the first time you and I did something wrong, I don't know we'd make it even into our teenage years. It would all be over with right before then. Don't forget what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.10, We all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or bad. Don't forget, justice will come. And though we see injustice now, and though we see difficulties now, and we wonder why people get away with things, understand... That will not always be the case. Every person will be repaid, whether good or evil. We will all give an explanation before God for what we've done. By the way, if there is no God, then where's your hope? Because you're right, the evil do get away with stuff. So where's the hope if there is no God? You have none. 
There is no justice in this world and life is miserable if there is no God. No, the hope is that God is allowing this hoping we'll all turn our lives around, that we'll all get ourselves squared away. And if we don't, then he ultimately justice will come and a judgment day will be brought uh, in the end. I think it's also important to think about that when we talk about suffering, it's not as if God doesn't know what suffering is about. That's one thing that makes God special is that God is not distant in terms of suffering as if he doesn't understand or doesn't know what we are going through. You know, when you read about either mythologically or Eastern religion, other gods, you have gods who are distant from the people, who who are not near the people, who don't understand. They are this, this far away, transcendental kind of thing. And here we are left to ourselves. And God doesn't that, that God doesn't want to be anywhere near us. And, and we're just trying to go and be with him. One of the things that is so unique about Christianity is that all the other religions have people trying to get to God. That God's so far away, so distant, and so, so special that nobody can be around him. And Christianity is different because God came to us. That's what's so fascinating. God didn't make himself this, this thing that can't, can, nobody can come to. He came to us. He walked among us. He lived with us. And therefore, he knows suffering. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, is necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters. He's speaking about us, brothers and sisters. So that, we, that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people, since he himself has gone through suffering and testing. He is able to help us when we are being tested. He's gone through it. He's gone through suffering. He's gone through death. He's gone through difficulties. And we don't even begin to know because we have such a short recording of, all, of the things that Jesus endured. You know, what are all the other things he suffered for the first 30 years of his life? What are the other difficulties that he had to endure? I've speculated with you. It seems that his dad died during that. He went through that. He went through all sorts of things with all that suffering. Well, what are we going to do with that? He knows. He endured those things. God called you to endure suffering because Christ suffered for you. He left you an example so that you could follow in his footsteps. Christ never committed any sin. He never spoke deceitfully. Christ never verbally abused those who verbally abused him. When he suffered, he didn't make any threats, but left everything to the one who judges fairly. Interesting that he tells us that God allows us to suffer because Christ suffered for us. To be able to understand the sacrifice of what Jesus did for us, there has to be something on our end to be able to comprehend that. And so why doesn't God just step in and intervene and wipe it all away and make everything perfect? Well, so that we can understand somewhat of what Jesus did for us, to understand what it means to sacrifice, what suffering really means. All that sounds good in theory until you actually go through it. Believe me, sermons on trials and suffering sound real good until you've gone through the ringer, and then you come back up and you've got a whole different sermon to preach. And it's just completely different when you go through it yourself. And it's the same thing for us. And that's what God is pointing out. To be like God means we have to know what suffering is about. Notice how Paul said in Romans chapter 8, if we're his children, we're heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ. But, but what do we have to do? Provided we suffer with him. In order that we may also be glorified. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing 
to the glory that is to be revealed to us. We want to be with God, then we're going to have to endure some things. We're going to have to go through the difficulties. So let me wrap it up last week's lesson to this week's lesson. Try to put it in a box, type bow on it, take it home with you. Some conclusions. One, God allows evil and God allows suffering because he created us with free will. I, I think that's the ultimate foundation we come back to. In wanting us to be able to choose God means that there must be the possibility not to choose God. For us to be able to choose good means there's the possibility that we will choose evil. And by doing so, that brings about an awful lot of consequences in this world. And for God to intervene would then be the removal of that free will. If God stopped us every time we did something wrong, then we would never have the choice. We would always end up choosing good. That puts us back into being robots. That's not what God wanted. Second, suffering is the product of of our own evil acts and the evil acts of others. The majority of suffering seems to come from our own evil acts and from the evil acts of others and Satan. Don't forget, Satan is working in this world. He is committing evil. He is doing evil acts. He is doing awful things. He is making people suffer. That's his intention. And why not? If it causes people to question God, to leave faith in God, to not want to follow God, then Satan will bring all the more suffering. If that's what it takes to get people not to follow God, it makes perfect sense. And if Satan can get people to blame God for it, then all the better. Satan is working in this world. Consider also, a world with free will then also has time and chance. If I have the freedom to leave here at any time, at any moment, and a drunk driver has the freedom to leave at any time, at any moment, then I could be at the wrong place at the wrong time and experience suffering because of it. It's just the nature of free will. If I have the right to choose to leave at 11.30 or at 12 o'clock from here and I miss an accident by three feet, that's because I had the right to choose when I wanted to choose. Again, that falls back on free will. That creates a world of time and chance where things happen, bad things happen to good people, good things happen to bad people, wrong place, wrong time, right place, right time. Those things will all happen because of a system of a free world. We also have to understand as, as well that we are in a world that has natural laws. And those, as much as we try to understand about our world and about this earth, we understand there's certain laws that exist with it, like the weather. You know, our, our meteorologists thought we were just going to get waylaid with hurricanes this year. We didn't even have to break one out of the claw, out of the break a shutter out of the garage. It was nothing this year. We we don't know. We think we know the weather and understand how all this stuff works, and we we don't have a clue. And we can't begin to understand. You know, okay, I can tell you the reason why there was an earthquake. Because these plates go like that, and it makes the earth shake when the plates move. We want to make some greater reason of, okay, you know, God was, you know, making, you know, great judgment upon, upon California. No, we have a natural world. And the reason for an earthquake is things go like that. And the reason for a tornado is because you've got your cool wind and your warm wind, and they mix together, and you make a tornado. And hurricanes, you get some warm water, and you get a low pressure. There's your reason. Don't look any deeper. That's just the natural world that God has created and has put these things into place. And those events will then continue to happen. 
Most diseases are products of also time and chance. Getting to experience that on, the, on our own as well. Yes, some are by our own evil actions. But even interestingly enough, as much as we continue to see more diseases and more syndromes and problems, it is interesting that diseases are not the norm but are rare. As one thing that struck us in talking to our geneticist, who uh, clearly, of course, is not, not God-fearing by any means, uh, and he just talked about it's surprising to him that we don't see far more problems take place in conception because there's so much going on there in the very beginning. And I found that interesting because I thought that is curious to me because to him, he's, he has the impression that we should have far more problems take place with children that are born, with diseases and syndromes and all the things that happen. He, he's, it, it's shocking to him that there isn't happen on a far more frequent basis. And the things that he's working with is a 1 in 10,000 to 1 in 15,000 uh, situation. A lot of that's just time and chance. It's just time and chance. And we're thankful to God that it doesn't happen more frequently than it does. But things have to happen in life. And in the process of free will and choices that we make, uh, again, time and chance will happen that certain genetic disorders, certain uh, genetic problems, they'll arise. We're trying to figure those things out. You know, is cancer a product of environment? Is it a product of genetics? Is it both? We're working on that, but it seems to be time and chance at this point. Genetics are very important. David Letterman is always fascinating to me. The guy eats as healthy as possible, and he's had like three quadruple bypasses. He has no control that he's going to have heart attacks all the time, it seems. Genetics, it just is what it is. There's no rhyme or reason. That's not God trying to punish you. It's not, you know, some great. It's just because, you know what, I'm nearsighted because my mom has glasses and my dad has glasses. How about that? <laughs> That's the why I have glasses, too. <laughs> That's just the way it is. Don't forget, too, a perfect earth would remove any desire to be with God. If everything here was just the way we wanted it to be, there'd be no reason to want to leave. The hope that we have is our loved ones that we that have gone on before us, we get to be with them again. We have a reason to leave here, to go home, to be with God, and to be with those who have lived before us, and to be eternally together. A perfect earth removes that. We endure suffering and difficulty, and that gives us a desire to go home, to be with God, to leave this place where there is evil, where Satan works. We want to be in the presence of God. Suffering draws us closer to God. I know you know that's true. The person who is enduring difficulty is able to draw closer to God, and it's usually those who are on the outside who do not understand how that person is making it through. And you can talk to that person, they'll tell you, well, you know, I'm, I'm getting by, I'm doing just fine. It's usually everybody who's not affected by it who can't comprehend and think how awful it is. And it's kind of a curious thing that the one suffering sees that they are drawing closer to God, that it is changing their character, that they are learning. I have learned so much because of grace and the things that we've had to go through with that. A whole world that it was closed off to me uh, is now open that I've just never seen before, of a whole world of, of, of children who suffer and diseases and handicap, things that just never crossed my mind before. You, you learn from these things. God came to the earth and suffered. 
And we have to suffer to be like God. God suffered. We'll suffer. Jesus told his disciples that. But finally, don't forget, God's with us through the suffering. He'll bring justice. And we learn through those difficulties. We learn through hard times. And I hope that is a logical, biblical, reasonable answer for why God allows suffering. Because free will is in this world and we have the right to choose. And because suffering makes us stronger, and sometimes suffering can be used in a way that will change our lives and we will go down a different path than we even realized before. I, I have an illustration about Grace and she's first learning to walk and the therapist would stand her up on her feet. They knew we were all standing there. She was trying to take a step that we'd catch her when she would fall. So she ended up getting to the point where we'd stand her up and she'd go, whoa, and make us catch her. Every time we try to teach her to start walking, she'd go, eh, and start throwing herself backward, and the therapist catching her. We'd all start catching, and we realized you have to stop catching to make her walk. She's got to learn the consequences of what it means to fall so that she will want to stand up and not fall. We need a little bit of suffering in our lives, we need a little bit of difficulty to learn the way we need to live our lives and the way we are to walk with God. Next week's lesson, I hope you'll come back. We'll ask the question of why hell? How can a loving God send people to hell? I think that's an important question as well that we'll look at for next time. Pull your song books out. And we invite you to come to Jesus Christ this very morning. And I hope that you will see that suffering should not be a roadblock to God but actually shows us that we have a loving God who decided he would endure suffering also so that we could know that he's been through the same things as us. And ultimately, he loves us so much that he wanted to allow us to have a choice. He wants us so badly to choose to be with him. He would allow these things to go on and make a world knowing this was going to happen because so badly he did not want robots. He wanted you and I to decide You will follow God no matter what. Won't you choose to do that this morning? Turn away from sin. Turn away from evil. Don't decide to walk down that road. Decide to be righteous. Decide to obey God. Confess that he is the Lord and be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. Do that now while we stand.